So, Rachel. Yeah? The Enterprise arrives at a planet to establish diplomatic relations and finds itself in the middle of a peaceful war that mm-hmm. threatens to destroy the ship. Mm-hmm. What do you think you're going to get? Well, at least they're going to a planet intentionally this time and with a purpose. <laughs> Gosh. Bit stumped with that one, a peaceful war. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, don't give up. Um, they've all agreed on a war. Mm-hmm. They plot it out as a game and then enact it. Does that make it peaceful? Mm-hmm. Or it's a game of poker or 3D chess where the <laughs> Enterprise has been put down as a wager. Mm-hmm. Or it's a non-violent tech-based war fighting computers against each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got nothing. What do you mean nothing? Those are some <laughs> pretty good ones. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, Stardate 3192.5. Now in standard orbit around planet Eminiar 7. My orders are clear. We must establish diplomatic relations at all cost. Preparing to beam down to planet's surface. That was the first Captain's log from the episode A Taste of Armageddon. And we are discussing it, me, Chris Lackey. And me, Rachel Lackey. On our podcast called... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Yay! Mm. I didn't remember this show from the title, but once Mm. I started watching it, it came back to me. Ah. And I've got to say, this is a nutty one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But not in a way you would think it's nutty. Mm. It's pretty much one character goes nuts and everybody's kind of okay with it. The Enterprise is heading uh, to Star Cluster NGC 321 on a quest to open diplomatic relations with the people that live there. So they get a message from planet Aminiar 7 that says, stay away at all cost. So Kirk says, okay, I guess that ends that. Yeah. Let's, let's get going. But then this creepy, angry old guy shows up like he owns the place mm. and it's Ambassador Fox. He says that we're going to go ahead because this is a diplomatic mission. Mm. I'm in charge. So Kirk, suck it. We're going to that planet. <sighs> He's very odd. You liked his suit. Kind of a goose poo green with a big round standing up collar. I like the standing up collar, but mm-hmm. the, you know, the color could have been a little bit more flashy in my opinion. Mm, flashy. <laughs> it made me a bit nauseous. So can you not have one made, please? Oh, Aww. even if it was like bright blue. Mm. His face doesn't move. <laughs> <laughs> and he has extreme eye bags. Almost doesn't look human. Yeah, he's kind of a weird weird looking guy. Kirk orders the ship to yellow alert and then heads to the planet. Fox states, rather dickishly in my opinion, <laughs> that the order is to establish diplomatic relations at all costs. What, even if they have to die to do it? I guess so. Kirk insists on going down himself to check it's safe for the ambassador. What does it say about him that he chooses himself to go out of all the people on the ship, do you think? Well, it could be that he's a control freak Mm -hmm. or it could be that he doesn't put his men at risk. Yes, he takes responsibility. He takes responsibility. Even when it's not his decision. I would argue that if you're the captain of a ship, you've got other responsibilities Mm. specifically to the ship and you can just send somebody down. Yeah. That's sort of one strange thing about Star Trek tangent is that Kirk does a lot of ambassadorial Mm. work, but in the real world... The person who's the captain of a vessel... Better stay there. And they would have an ambassador on board. The captain only makes decisions when it's based on the safety and the functioning of the ship. 
Yeah. In Star Trek, mm. that's just the way it is. Kirk does everything. Yeah. We've learned from Galileo 7 that a Kirkless episode is no good. <laughs> <laughs> so they got to send him down. Of course. Kirk beams down with his little posse, Spock. Yeoman Tamura, an Asian woman, mm -hmm. and two security officers. I think we've seen these guys before, Lieutenant Galloway and Osborne. Hmm. They are met by Mia Three of Division Control of the Armenian Union. Mia is clear that they shouldn't have come. He asked you not to, but oh well, we'll show you hospitality now that you're here. Yeah. How many times have we heard that one when we've arrived somewhere, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Kirk finds out from Mia that they are all in danger and uh, takes the gang to see the High Council. And the leader of the council is this bearded guy called Anon Seven. He says we can't do diplomatic stuff because we're too busy fighting this war. They've been fighting a planet in their system called Vendikar for over 500 years. Ooh. So Kirk and Spock give each other quizzical looks because there is no signs of any kind of war going mm. on there's no explosions there's no radiation everything looks really nice yeah the city is really impressive in the map paintings or whatever yeah. it is that they've done beautiful skyscrapers futuristic detailed designs yeah. yeah and this is the last time that they actually have the people in the map painting oh on the show they use, they use map paintings a lot but mm. then this is the last time you actually see the people walking around in there oh in the old series, in the new series, oh. they do it. So it was intriguing to me at this point. How are you doing? It's been a long time since I've seen it. So I was really enjoying it. And I have to say, as crazy as the things are, my issues with it, I still totally dig this episode. Yeah. It's really entertaining. Did you know how it was going to pan out then? Yes. You remembered? Well, yeah. vague, broad strokes. Mm. So Spock figures out that the war is actually fought with computers. We can see a light patch on the screen like an explosion from above on a map that indicates that they've been hit. A battle commences right while they're there, but of course it's all on a computer. So Kirk's like, is this a game? And he's like, no, no, no. Death tallies are gathered and people that theoretically die then have to go to disintegration chambers to be killed. Ooh. And Kirk and Spock are like, what? And Anand explains this preserves our civilizations, but the deaths from the war are real. And Kirk is really confused by this. He goes, wait, people voluntarily do this? And Anand says, yes, our people have a very high sense of duty. I suppose Starfleet would be able to identify with that. Yeah, well, to a degree, yeah. But I mean, just because a computer says you've got to die marching into a, a disintegration booth or having your loved one or your children do that. Kirk has made several decisions that the crew have not questioned, although you can tell that they are concerned and life or death decisions. Sure, yeah. But hey, Chris, I've done all right, haven't I, with my guesses that yeah. it was actually a tech-based yeah. War, computers fighting. Yeah, you yeah. totally, you nailed it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought it? Yeah, you've been watching enough Star Trek that you can kind of start <laughs> to predict these things. Kirk's like, this is nuts. Why would you do this? And Anand says, if we don't do this, then we're going to have a real war. Mm. And that would be destroying buildings, destroying infrastructure. There would be disease, famine, all these terrible things. This keeps it clean and tidy. Hmm. Uh, since that attack happened while Kirk and company were there, we find out that the Enterprise was a viable target. And that's why Anand said, we didn't want you to come anywhere near us mm. because we don't want you to get, get you roped into our war. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Enterprise got destroyed in the simulation. Mm. Anand says that he has to bring down the whole crew to the planet for disintegration. And Kirk says, it's not only The Cure's greatest album, but one of my personal favorite albums of the 20th century. And Anand <laughs> says, no, no, not that disintegration. Though I do agree with you that it is one of humanity's greatest records. <laughs> oh, goodness sake. <laughs> I mean that they must all be killed. <laughs> 
So Kirk and company are are held to make sure that the Enterprise complies. <laughs> I thought the Amenia planet sounded like Armenia, and I wondered if that was relevant. On Wikipedia, it says, On the 24th of April, 1965, tens of thousands of Armenians flooded the streets of Yerevan to remind the world of the horrors that their parents and grandparents endured during the Armenian genocide of 1915. Could that have inspired the writers? Mm. Also, did the disintegration stations make you think of gas chambers, maybe? Well, no, it didn't make me think of gas chambers because the people are doing it voluntarily. Mm. And that's kind of what makes it so creepy mm -hmm. is that these people know what they're doing and they're still doing it. But according to original series writer David Gerald, this whole thing was a bit of a statement about the Vietnam War. Hmm. The death tallies were being said on the nightly newscast every night. And that was happening in 1967. So this could be kind of that parallel because it felt like it was connected to something a little bit deeper, but I couldn't mm -hmm. figure out exactly what it was. Now, David Gerald didn't actually write this episode, so I don't know what his involvement was or mm. why he thinks this. Mm, if anyone knows more, let us know. And we also find out that uh, Mia was killed in the attack and she has 24 hours to report to the disintegration chamber. She decided to have the same deep waters you playing as she went in. Eh? It's a song from Disintegration. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since Kirk has decided that this is all crazy, he is not down for it at all. And he also seemed to have decided that he's going to burn the whole mother down. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is the first mention of the United Federation of Planets, but the Prime Directive is kind of totally out the window here. Yeah. They don't even mention it. Even though he's recently used it to talk a computer to death. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, one could argue that since this civilization had warp technology and they have brought the Enterprise into their war... Mm -hmm that they've just declared war on the Federation of Planets. Oh. So in that case, it's not so crazy. This, mm, they and, told them not to come. Anyway, Kirk says, F you, I'm not going to have my people beam down. That's, mm. that's crazy talk. Oh, yeah. So Anon tries to trick him by using a device that makes him sound like Kirk. So he calls up to the ship sounding like Kirk saying, oh, it's all cool. The whole ship has been invited down for some shore leave. And <laughs> Scotty's like, uh, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, we've had shore leave three times this month already. <laughs> <laughs> so Scotty analyzes it and the analyzer detects that it is a forgery. Go, Scotty. What are people like Sulu up to at a time like this, though? Well, the I mean, the ship has to be run 24 hours a day. So yeah, uh, yeah, shifts. Yeah, I've got shifts. So probably not everybody's on at the same time. I uh, guess. thought maybe they rotated roles. So he's currently working the juice bar or something. <laughs> no, it could be. It could be. We don't know. <laughs> So on the planet, they're all stuck in this room and Spock uses what he calls telepathy, which mm. is actually totally mind control oh, yeah. on a guard. This involves him sensually feeling along the wall and door until the guard on the other side starts to feel things. It's kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Spock pulls this trick too often. It's uh -huh. something, yeah, because being able to mind control people is kind of a very powerful mm. tool to use. And it's hard to write around that. It's like, well, I can mind control people. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. He hasn't pulled that out before when he easily could have. Yeah. And I don't think he does later again. I could be wrong. They do say in this episode, he hasn't tried it before, but he's going to give it a go. So why doesn't he give it a go later on? Let's just kind of keep that in the back of our okay. minds and see if there are any points. Situations that... where it would have been useful. Yes. They get the guard in, knock him out and escape. They find disintegration station number 12, 
which is also the number of the track called Untitled. Oh, it's a brilliant song. It's <laughs> really good. And then Kirk says, I don't like you people killing yourselves. Then blows the disintegration chamber up with the disruptor. Anand says, okay, forget it. It's time to just blast the Enterprise for real. And he attacks it. But ahaha, ha, Scotty's playing it cool and has the shields, which they still call screens, up so the attack doesn't do squat. Yeah. Scotty says that they can't shoot back with phasers, but they can fire photon torpedoes. Something that later on changes because they can fire through their shields. They can't oh. transport through shields. But they can fire. Oh, they okay. Fire. I see. So Fox says, uh, no way. This is a diplomatic mission. <laughs> Fox calls down to the planet to see what's going on. Back to Kirk. He figures out the only way he's going to save the ship is to stop the war. The war that has been going on for 500 years. <laughs> he's been here for an hour and he's just going to fix it all up. Oh, yeah. So they managed to get Mia and some weapons and some security outfits so that Osborne and Galloway are in disguise now. And they mm. look adorable. <laughs> Adorably ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so back on the Enterprise, Fox is on the horn with Anon, and Anon totally lies through his teeth, and he says, oh, no, Kirk's fine. He's here with me. He's just tired. Uh, we're at war, and the Enterprise was fired on by mistake. I am so sorry. <laughs> you should lower your shields and just beam down. And Fox is like, okay, that's a great idea. See you in a second. He's very grumpy for someone who assumes the best in people like this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just assumes he's telling the truth. Ridiculous. <laughs> and Scotty is like, uh, you're off your nut. That is not going to happen. Mm. And Fox says, I'm in charge. And Scotty says, sure, but I'm not lowering the shields. And McCoy says, look, he tried to fake a call from Kirk and then he tried to blow us up. Mm. Why would you believe them? And I'm totally with McCoy here. Good on you, McCoy. Back in Scotty up. Fox says, I'm the ambassador, not you. I'm going to give you a court martial if you don't do what I say. And Scotty's like, well, yeah, sure. Give me a court martial. I don't care. At least I'll be alive. Mm. And then Fox leaves in a huff. Back in Anand's boudoir, he's pouring himself a drink and Kirk sneaks up with a disruptor. Kirk wants his communicators back and Anand is like, Nope. They have this whole talk about being barbarians. I'm not interested in discussing our differences. You don't seem to realize the risk you're taking. We don't make war with computers and herd the casualties into suicide stations. We make the real thing, Council. I could destroy this planet. Why do you think I don't let you talk to your ship? I don't need the ship for that. You mean all by yourself with a disruptor? You can destroy this planet. That's exactly what I mean. I had no idea you were so formidable. You seem to think I'm joking. Where are the communicators? What is Kirk's plan? How does he think he's going to destroy the planet with a disruptor? By destroying all the dis... The pods? <laughs> I'm not giving you a chance to start going about the cure again. <laughs> well, we find out what his plan is at mm. the end of the episode. It's to destroy the computers. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that doesn't really... I mean, that's exactly now what they happens. Can't they can't send fight their the war in that way. Yeah, they can't fight war in that yeah. way, and they'll have to fight war in another way. So while talking, Anand secretly trips at alarm and tries to trick Kirk into walking out into a trap. Kirk detects the deception, gets into a fight, but loses. What? To these lamos, boo! <laughs> yeah, really quickly and lamely too. Yeah, and then gets kind of dragged off by them. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Maybe was, he just didn't have his Wheaties that morning. Is well, no. <laughs> was the losing intentional so we could get to a certain location? Maybe, I don't understand. I don't know. So Fox and his assistant beam down to the planet, 
And I'm thinking, wait, how did they do that? Mm, what with the shields up? The shields were up. Mm. Scotty said he was not going to lower the shields. How did he get down to the planet? Mm-hmm. This is not explained. Anyhow, Anon takes Fox and this guy into custody and he goes, oh yeah, sorry about that. I was lying to you. Your, oh. your guy was right. We're going to put you in the disintegration chamber. Oh, and Fox is like, wait, no, I hated that album. Oh. Of course he would. He would hate that album because he's a jerk. Well, he would, yeah. yeah. I have to admit, though, I was pretty satisfied watching his smug face get really sad when he was told that they were going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you jerk. See? That's listen, what you get. Listen to other people, mm-hmm. you, you nerd. Unfortunately, Spock turns up with Galloway and Osborne and rescues Fox. <laughs> Fox does admit that he was wrong and offers to start killing people. <laughs> And Spock says they can use all the help they can get. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciated that he did offer to help as soon yes. as he realized what was really going on. Yeah, he did Yeah, go from ambassador to murder machine 3000. <laughs> did you hear that suicide pods may be available to be 3D printed soon? What? Yeah. What is a suicide pod? It's And this is only from a small article. Sure. It's essentially a coffin mounted on a platform that has a gas canister in it so the person can get into it press a button and then gas themselves to death so they fall unconscious quite quickly and then die what kind of gas i can't remember i don't know what i suppose on the positive side of that the person who's killed themselves doesn't have to be found by a loved one they're already in their coffin Wow. I that's kind of considerate very, in a way. That's a very dark consideration, but I yeah. guess I, it could be considered one. Of course, I'd hope that the person exhausted other positive avenues first before taking that route. But yeah, it's a considerate way to kill yourself. I guess so. I guess. Sure. So prisoner Kirk realizes that the other planet, Vendikar, sees that a meteor is not killing as many people as it's supposed to. And they're risking full war. And Kirk is like, good. That's what you get. And Anon is like, I'm going to call the Enterprise and I'm going to threaten to kill you. And Kirk, right when he does that, Kirk just jumps on. He says, implement General Order 24 in two hours. And then they shut Kirk up. Mm -hmm. And we find out that what that is, is to destroy all life on the planet. What? (laughs) That's a thing? I found out this was brought up in another episode later on. To me, it seems not very Starfleet because that's not just genocide. That's like Mm -hmm. a whole ecosystem aside. I don't know. What do you call that? And the Federation would do something like that? Just a bluff, I reckon. Poker again. Could be, could be, could Mm -hmm. be. But... No, they use it again. So I don't, I think that it actually really is a thing. Mm. Anyway, uh, Kirk says that they have two hours before the planet is destroyed and Anon orders an attack on the Enterprise. But now the Enterprise is out of range. Go Scotty. So Spock and his team are just blasting guards left and right. And Fox's poor aide gets shot. And then there's this weird kind of half-assed checking on him. But then just kind of leaving him thing. Yeah, just leaving him slumped in the corridor. He never even had a line to awkward. say. Awkward, yeah. It's really weird. But Anon, back in the, the room, is freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. He's pleading with Kirk, and Kirk just is not having it. So Scott comes on the con and tells Anon, we've got all your cities targeted, all of them. Mm. We're going to blow them up in one hour and 45 minutes. What is going on? This, mm. There's innocent people in these cities. What the mm. heck? They're not going to do it. All right. Well, well, yeah, I hope. I mean, I, I hope not. But still, the fact that they're blo- I mean, this is bloodthirsty mm-hmm. stuff. So Anand begs the council. He's he's helpless. He does not know what to do. He goes, what do I do? What do I do? And Kirk takes this chance to now kick everybody's ass. <laughs> yeah, all at once. And then Spock shows up and says, because uh, he sees that Kirk has handled a whole room full of dudes. Mm-hmm. He goes, uh, I'd assumed you needed my help. I seem to be an error. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So Kirk and Spock find the main computer and they blow it up. This means that the whole system they set up with the Vendicarans is done. 
Real war is inevitable. Oh, the gall of it. Swanning in and deciding he knows best based on a few fragments of information. <laughs> and it was none of his business. <laughs> I'm just going to take a massive risk and destroy your society. Yeah. And Kirk really rubs it in an odd face. I've given you back the horrors of war. The Vendikins will now assume that you've broken your agreement and that you're preparing to wage real war with real weapons. They'll want to do the same. Only the next attack they launch will do a lot more than just count up numbers on a computer. They'll destroy your cities, devastate your planet. You, of course, will want to retaliate. If I were you, I'd start making bombs. Yes, Councilman, you have a real war on your hands. You can either wage it with real weapons, or you might consider an alternative. Put an end to it. Kirk says that you don't think the Vendikins are freaking out right now, too? Anand says... You know, there is this old communication line that hasn't been used in hundreds of years. We could talk to them. Oh, they haven't been talking in hundred years. <laughs> so Fox says, I could help. I am, after all, an ambassador. Yeah, what? A great one. The worst in the quadrant, you know? So I'm probably the guy you should hire. Kirk leaves them to sort it out and he goes back to the Enterprise. Where does the ambassador get off? <laughs> There, thankfully. <laughs> Looking forward to not seeing him again. Oh. Although he did seem more sympathetic once he started to help. He yes. had an arc. He did have an arc. Yeah, mm. that's true. So a bit later on the bridge, we get a message from Fox saying that the peace talks are going well. Great job, Kirk. You took a big chance. Did I, Mr. Spock? They had been killing three million people a year. It had been going on for 500 years. An actual attack wouldn't have killed any more people than one of their computer attacks, but it would have ended their ability to make war. The fighting would have been over, permanently. But you didn't know that it would work. No. It was a calculated risk. Still, the Aminians keep a very orderly society. And actual war is a very messy business. A very, very messy business. I had a feeling that they would do anything to avoid it, even talk peace. A feeling is not much to go on. Sometimes a feeling, Mr. Spark, is all we humans have to go on. Captain, you almost make me believe in luck. Why, Mr. Spark? You almost make me believe in miracles. Miracles? They just love each other. <laughs> They do. <laughs> oh, golly. Yeah, I don't quite exactly know what he means by that either. Hmm. I get I, the look one. I get Captain, you almost make me believe in luck because he's saying we're going on gut instinct. We're going on feelings. Yeah, yeah. Why, Mr. Spock, you almost make me believe in miracles. What is that? Oh, mean? because he's finally almost believing in luck. Oh, I is see. It? God, is that, that it? That must that be it. That takes some thought to work out, it doesn't sure it? It's does. the button on the episode. Jeez. Yeah. You got to aim for more simple minds like, like ours. ours. Concepts. Okay. What was the ambassador's priority mission? Don't know. <laughs> they don't say. Couldn't he have tried some diplomacy via radio before beaming people in against their orders? At least ask them why. I think they weren't taking communications. Mm, was that it? I think. Ahura was trying hard with that one. It didn't work. Its moral heart was the horror of war again. Mm -hmm. Made me think of cannon fodder, young men being sent from the trenches to die in their thousands to gain a few feet of ground planned out by commanders on a map 
in that kind of distanced way, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But yeah. this was different because there was no rank privilege, was there? No. Anand's wife had just been targeted and disintegrated and Mia was about to be. Kirk and the writers disagreed with their arm's length approach to war, the clinical bloodness nature of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. No destruction of property, infrastructure, nothing to rebuild. No one saw each other die either or be blown apart. Mm -hmm. Kirk wanted them to really face the horror and no longer be able to accept it to have to try and solve it. It also makes me think of the devastation of war, like uh, Europe after World War II. Mm. I mean, there were cities that were almost completely destroyed. Mm. Berlin, there's very few old buildings in Berlin because it was so heavily bombed. Yeah, and it was so important to these people to keep their culture, wasn't it? Definitely more so than the individual lives. Yeah, that I kind of empathized with. Hmm. that preserving the culture, everything that they've worked so hard to get, that would live on. I mean, everybody really? dies. Everybody dies eventually. And you yeah. want your culture to conti continue on past your death. Why? So, eh. Why are buildings, museums because so important? They are. In I love going to them, but... I mean, that's kind of our, our identity. That's who we are. What are we without those things? So what, though? Why does that need to be preserved against all odds? At the risk of millions of lives. I'm not saying that it should be. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's very important. And I could see the argument being made that people are going to die anyway. And maybe with their advanced technology, people really live a long time. So mm -hmm. the war is actually keeping their population in check. Ooh, yikes. They're very analytical about this. For me, I see society as, a, as an evolution. It's getting better, ultimately. I mean, we have a few problems now and then, and I've said this before, but you look at life 200 years ago for the average person and life for the average person now, mm. at least in Western culture in Europe and America, is not as bad as it was then. Mm. You lived longer, more of your children survived. I think keeping that, the quality and the, the history and the art and all those things that make us who we are, if you have like a full-blown post-apocalyptic war, those things are lost. They'll be gone. Mm. Society, once again, will have to start from a very low point and may repeat all of those horrible things that have happened again. So there might be this perpetual cycle of building up a civilization and then having it destroyed down to nothing and then building mm. up. And, but Including if you can all its advances. And if you preserve it, though, that that won't happen. There won't be that dark age that would happen. Mm. I'm just, I'm not saying I would think that millions of people's lives are worth that. Yeah. But then again, why do people go to war at mm. all? You're fighting for a culture. You're fighting for a way of life. And people Freedom. do die. And you're fighting for your freedom. So not to get too... Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deeper analytical. discussion than we can have. It certainly is a deep here. One. Sure. The people had a sense that there was no alternative. It had been that way for everyone's entire family tree. Mm -hmm. There was no opposition, though. Was there no secret resistance like Return of the Archons? Maybe because it had always been. No, no. one questioned it. Or they certainly didn't action that, that question. Sure. Yeah, it's a fair point. On another point, uh, who knows how this whole thing could have played out. Like maybe the planets had really powerful weapons mm -hmm. ready to go at any moment. Maybe if you don't meet that death total, everyone on both planets dies. Mm -hmm. Like maybe this, their war is like full on, we've got enough nukes to just level everybody's city mm -hmm. on both planets. So yeah. everybody dies. It was their best option. Yeah. As far as they, as yeah, far as they, as they understood. Yeah. But of course, Kirk doesn't know what, what no, they've got. No. He just breezes in and just starts making does. all these decisions. You can say that what he did worked because that's what happened on the episode. The fact that he doesn't like how they do things. But it really annoys me. The fact that he just doesn't like how they do things is yeah. willing to risk billions and billions of people's mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and decide that he knows best for them. Yeah. What was the function of the women in this episode? 
The yeoman didn't do anything. No. Almost seemed like they'd cast her and then once they started filming realised that she wasn't a very good actress and just (laughs) (laughs) kept her in the background. She's not. She's pretty wooden. Mia was an interesting character. She was assertive, but ultimately she did have to be rescued by Kirk. Yeah, but But I get that that's the concept of the show. Yeah, but she didn't want to be rescued. No, she didn't. Yeah. Uhura was solid as usual. Oh, yeah, always. Why do they keep finding humans or human-like people? Everywhere they go. Because it costs money to make somebody look like an alien, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. And they haven't found a way to do it where you can still empathize with the character. Yeah. I, honestly, the concepts on this episode are, are brilliant. They really had me thinking and uh, us thinking. I mean, we're, what we were talking about just, yeah. just now. And that to me is what science fiction is all about. So I give this one a nine yeah. on concepts. I'm flummoxed by Kirk's behavior as it flies in the face of later Trek. Mm-hmm. But this is an early episode. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe they just have haven't figured out exactly how these Hmm. things work yet. Yeah, I'm going to go for an eight for concepts. Yeah, certainly for the concepts themselves. Entertainment. The costumes alone were entertaining. (laughs) With Anand, the leader, we had Bill Murray done up like he's playing Prospero in The Tempest, (laughs) with not only a glittery pleated toga type thing, but also half a pair of orange dungarees (laughs) worn over black tight trousers, but the orange leg is flared. (laughs) (laughs) That's not to mention the rest of the guys who all had pointy swimming caps instead of the toga. Amazing. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Why was Kirk so bad in the two-on-one fight? I don't know. I'm just going to cling to the idea that he wanted to be taken to the council chamber. Yeah. Because there's just no way. Kirk is awesome. Yeah, he was almost instantly weakened and he had to be dragged off, but yet was able to rock six guys effortlessly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty great when Spock came in saying he thought he'd need help to find Kirk holding two guns at a room full of people (laughs) looking smug and sparkly. (laughs) It was intriguing, confusing, suspenseful, fun. Eight. Yeah, uh, the craziness of it all. I mean, there was lots of times where I was like, what the hell is Kirk doing? Mm -hmm. This is nuts. But I found it extremely entertaining. So I give it an eight as well. Mm. Plus the whole idea, the concepts of it just had me spinning. I was really enjoying myself. Sexiness. Mia's was my favorite female costume so far in terms of sexiness. It was pretty sexy. Yeah, she looked like a sexy badass in her almost sari with the side of her torso exposed contrasted with the no-nonsense black trousers and boots. Yeah. Looked real good. So you could see that she had no bra on. Yeah. You could see the whole side under her arm. Mm-hmm. And very. Very alluring. Very alluring, yes. <laughs> her hair looked pretty, but it didn't really go with the outfit. It was two sixties. Yeah, sure. Kirk was sexy in the usual sparkly-eyed, tight-uniformed <laughs> Kirk-fooing way. <laughs> Uhura was on good form. Scotty was loyal and commanding and less greasy-haired than usual. Mm-hmm. Did men have bigger eye bags back then? <laughs> Or did they just choose people who did to make Kirk look better? (laughs) (laughs) Could be, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was the way they did lighting or the way they did makeup. But yeah, there was some serious eye baggage going on. Yeah, maybe actors now just do so much face creamy, eye pack, whatever stuff that we just don't know what people really look like close up. It could be, yeah. Or he was just a weird looking guy. I don't know. Well, but there's a lot of them like that in this show. Sure. Five. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty average hotness for Star Trek. Hey, I just want to mention we've got a bunch of new backers. Mm. Very excited and thankful that these people have decided to give us money to keep talking about Star Trek. Thank you so much. These wonderful individuals have either pledged for the first time last or this month or have increased their pledges and have already been supporting us. Oh my God, that's nuts. Thank you, Dale Wilson. And thank you, David, as the getter. Ben, all back is an awesome dude. And Forrest Rush is great. 
Thank you, Robbie Rowlett and Ben and Dion Winton Pollock, Bob Gilmore, Neil Kaplan, and Matthew Elsop, and Spotlight on Jeffrey Sumler and Chris. We've got I am Captain Kirk, Eric S. Vallon, MD. Wow. At $100 a month. Thank you so much. Thank you to you all. You've made us do three episodes a month from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, next week we are going to jump on another episode that I have no memory of. Mm -hmm. But maybe once I start watching it, it'll trigger some thoughts for me. It's called This Side of Paradise. Oh, I feel another shawl leaf coming on. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you are listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Trey.